you know, mean, there, but, that has been a discussion a lot of times with African Americans who have befriended Trump. Like, is this them stepping into the circle so they can sneak in some things? And I just don't think that Kanye or Steve Harvey are that smart. <laughs> I just, Man, is Steve Harvey in that circle too? Oh yeah. <sighs> oh, yeah. Episode 141 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brewed pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. Catch new episodes weekly as the Reverend Shannon Meacham, Ogan Holder, and a special guest address and engage what's happening through a theological lens, usually with a good brew in hand. Today we welcome the Reverend Leighton Williams. Leighton is a writer and a PCUSA pastor. She is currently based in Charleston, South Carolina, serves uh, Sunrise Church on Sullivan's Island, and she's also the author of Holy Disunity, What Separates Us Can Save Us. Welcome, Leighton, who will someday, when she walks down the aisle, have a BB-8 as her ring bearer. I certainly will. Count on it. <laughs> Deliver that to my future spouse as a, as a message <laughs> for our wedding. Tell them, yeah, tell them listen to this episode. <laughs> I tell right, right before or right after proposing. Before, before, yeah. uh, before Derek and I got married, I had posted, like, when I was single, like, the, the rings, they were, like, the scene of the hawk um, from Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I was like, dear, dear future husband, we will be wearing these. And he, like, I said that to him later. He's like, why didn't you tell me? I would have totally won those. <laughs> That's how you know, man. That's how, That's you, how, know. how you know. That's how you know. All right. You know you can, you know. Speaking, of, speaking of love and marriage, you can show your love <laughs> and deep commitment from what the LG lives. There you go. By becoming a supporter on Patreon, we start at $2 a month. A pittance of $2 a month that you can help us keep this show going and get yourself lots of perks from extended interviews, um, some exclusive video content of pre and post show discussions. They are, they are rich. They are really good. Um, Layton, I don't know if you know, but you made our, you made our post show discussion last week. Um, thanks to Shannon. You were, you were featured. Uh Oh, um, and now I have revealed that I have not listened to the post show. That's all right. That's that's okay. But I will. There, there you go. We won't we won't give it away. But it's you know something to do with all the time you spend at their house, and that's all I'm gonna say. Um, visit Patreon.com. So really, slash, it could be anything. Could be anything. <laughs> visit Patreon.com/slash/BTLive to get started. A big thank you to our current patrons, and please check out video clips from the show on all the social twitter facebook instagram youtube and you can join in the discussion using the hashtag pt live today we are discussing kanye west conversion to christianity and the intersection of culture and faith which is pretty much what we do every week so it'll be fun and interesting um what are we drinking today layton what are you what are you having um, I am drinking a uh, mango IPA from a local brewery down here, Palmetto uh, Brewing Company. So their regular IPA, the UG Street, is one of my favorite locals. 
Um, and I got this uh, a couple weeks ago to go on a harbor cruise with a friend that was BYOB. And I have to admit, I do not love it as much as I wish I did. I usually like the citrusy IPAs, but this one's a little sweeter. Um, but it's still good and it was still in my fridge. So here we are. <laughs> Gotta love two, stuff that's still in the fridge. Two right? minimum requirements <laughs> for, a, for a beer in your fridge. I am still a little bit in the uh, Halloween mood. So this is a Night Shift Bruin peanut butter porter. Wow. And I've never had this before, so it'll be an adventure. We got a little uh, riff on, on E.T. Oh, that's Very cute. cute. You notice that? Um, With an owl. And, mm-hmm. and we got a lot of, uh, I've been sneaking candy all week. Um, see, what happened last Halloween, um, we got a lot of trick-or-treaters. Sarah ran out of candy. So this year, she's like, I'm buying extra candy. But then it rained and was cruddy weather. Oh, yeah. So hardly any trick-or-treaters. So I've been... Yeah, it's been candy fest. It's been candy, candy, candy. Yeah, it's been candy, candy, candy fest. So peanut yeah. butter porter. What you got, Shannon? So I'm switching a little bit. The only beer that we have left in the house after last night's Ravens beat the Patriots. Um, it was a 10% alcohol. So I'm going for wine, um, which is also <laughs> like 10% alcohol. But you know, it makes me feel better. Um, so this is a very cheap bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite kind right this is a, a hogue riesling and i actually bought it because i bought it right after a spiritual direction um session with my spiritual director whose last name is hogue and so i was like perfect <laughs> like nice tie i think it was like 7.99 so it's a 2017 columbia valley vintage of hogue wines hmm, all right so that's what i'm drinking today and you said you said that's a riesling it is a Riesling. Do the, are those, is that a sweeter white or a drier white? It's a white? sweeter. They, they have both sweet and dry Rieslings. Oh. Um, this one's, but, but it tends to be more of a sweeter white wine. Okay. Yeah. All right. No, so no, no. it's, you can find them all the way that like super sweet, almost like a Moscato and like way drier. You can, you can find it both. I'm sure if I knew more about wine, I could tell you what kind of grapes and something, something. Yeah, well, I don't know that much either. I just am newly getting into white since I had to give up red. And so I'm Me learning too. Yeah. which ones I can Wait, have. Why, why did we have to give up red? Um, well, Leighton and I have different allergies to red, but we it's both true. have allergies to red. Yeah. That has oh, developed. Me, Shannon. In- Shannon, Wi-Fi. You got to sit you closer to your Wi-Fi. I forgot to tell you this from last week. Yeah, it's breaking up a little bit. Bummer. Get other people in the house off the Wi-Fi. Something. Well, I would love to do that, except for, you know. Duchess. <laughs> Get the dog off the Wi-Fi. <laughs> so are you are you allergic to the tannins in the wine? Like, what are you allergic to? Do you know for sure? I do not know, actually. I do not know um, what I'm allergic to. Well, I've actually long been allergic and to red wine. And I don't, I also don't know if it's the tannins or the sulfides, but the cheaper and darker the wine, I like break out in these red splotches and it gives me a really bad headache. However, none of that was reason enough for me to quit drinking red wine because I love it so much until it also, I have, this is, I don't want to overshare, but I've just had like a lot of issues with heartburn and acid reflux and it's like my kryptonite. So I had to let it go. It's really sad. Um, um, did you have the same reaction with organic red wines too? Um, in terms of the flushing, of, the, uh, of reactions, because uh, there are a lot of people who do better, who have allergic reactions that do better when they do organic reds. 
Um, I do better with nicer reds, so I can imagine organic would be the same way, but but not so much with the heartburn thing. That seems to be just like a oh, so this is more of a class issue. You need to get more. You need to drink more expensively. This is Look, the issue. I might be a slight elitist, but only by necessity. <laughs> you, you're allergic to cheapness. That's what, that's what I'm hearing. Ah, oh, crap. I mean, there's worse things, really. Let's be honest. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've, I won't share what happens to me because it's terrible, but basically there's a lot of vomiting involved. So, you know, nonetheless. That is worse. That's worse. So, so switching directions. <laughs> so the question is, what is your favorite album of all time? Which is like, ugh. How do you choose one? That's, a, that's probably the hardest opening question. I was going to say, this is one of the hardest yeah. opening questions that's ever. So what is, so do you have one that comes to mind? I do. I do actually. Um, and, and for me to begin to answer this, it's what's the album that I know if I'm, if I'm in a weird funky down place, I will always enjoy listening to it's my go-to. Um, I may not have listened to it for a while, but I can still sing every single word on every single song. Um, and I don't know, this is, it's so long story short, uh, there's a British like um, funk pop group, jazz group called the Brand New Heavies. And they have an album called Shelter. And on that album, they do what I think is probably the best cover of You've Got a Friend and, and some other stuff. There's also a very um, kind of dance pop groove song called you are the universe which reminds us about to be empowered by ourselves and it, that does sound like your kind and, of thing and it is very i was gonna say that's very ways. ogan of you <laughs> exactly so so like the brand new heavies i've been in love with them since i first discovered them and not discovered but heard about them in college it was like 94 and <laughs> i've always been big fans of them and that album shelter um remember the days when you could when you played either vinyl or CD so much that it got all scratched up and hissy and all that weird yep. stuff. Yeah, that that was that. Um, and also, yeah. close second, their album, also Brother Sister, uh, oh. is a good album. But that's that's what I'm going with. Brand New Heavies, Shelter. Nice. Um, so I, as I shared with Shannon and Ogan earlier, uh, this question revealed to me a deep shame of mine which is that I am so uninformed about music that my first thought was I don't know if I can name any album uh, including wow. from my favorite band uh, but upon further thought I will first say although I, I don't know that this is my answer uh, by your criteria Ogan in terms of like knowing every word and always being able to enjoy it no matter what kind of mood I'm in when I turn it on I feel better my answer to that is actually the Hamilton soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would say in terms of an album that has carried me through like long periods of life and continues to come back and be meaningful, um, is, is it called I Am Loving You, Shane? I Am Loving You is an album, yeah. So th that Avett Brothers album, that song in particular, but really that whole al album has been present for like every time I've fallen in love with someone, every breakup I've been through, all of the like lonely nights in between, um, <laughs> and all the life like vocational crises. Um, it has always been present and a comfort in those times and then the last thing i'll say though and this is not an album it's just a song but um the other day i was driving in my car or, or, no i was in the gym sorry 
And this song, um, A Long December by Counting Crows came on. And um, I have, my friends and I were obsessed with Counting Crows in high school, but we didn't have individual albums. We had like these burned CD compilations, right? And that was my favorite song. And I thought, even after all these years, I don't think my like body has the kind of reaction to any other song Mm. that it does when the first like two notes of that song comes on, right? It just like, I don't know, I have this intense nostalgic reaction so um it has its own power one of my favorite live shows was counting crows they do a good concert they do they do they're interesting to watch because they don't i mean they don't sing the same way every time like it's like you have to really go and be there for that particular experience and not to hear it sound like how it sounds on your favorite album or whatever but they're good so i i mean i'll say like i'm the opposite right i like (laughs) That might be true. Right. Like Uh, music has been (laughs) part of not conforming. Shocker. Well, like music has been the savior of my life for a very long time, right? Like it has been my it was my first friend and will probably be my last in a lot of ways. Um, but what made me so this like favorite, like it's just a terrible, like not it's not a terrible question. It's it's so hard for me, right? But where I want to, what I, I was actually talking about this not too long ago, um, the, my first love of an album, like I have lots of songs that I knew before. And we, we actually had this weird, my sister and my dad and I had this weird relationship with, um, John Denver and an Mm -hmm. album there with, um, so like, again, whatever, but my aunt for my birthday one year got me Cindy Lauper. She's so unusual tape. And I played it so much, I wore it out. And so for my like next birthday, I got another one and I played it so much, I wore it out. And still to this day, like I don't put it on very often, but occasionally I'll put it on. And like, there's something about that album. Like, I, cause I was actually sitting here, like there's a Cars album I really love, like all kinds of Michael Jackson albums. Like there's, if you want to talk about this decade or this decade or like whatever, um, the, you know, the first time, um, uh, just anyway, the first time I heard a lot of things, my love of even classical and jazz and all of those things, but that album was just formative in so many ways for me. So um, it's not necessarily my favorite, but it's, it's, man, she's so unusual. I, I think it, it spoke right to me <laughs> in so many ways. Right here. It was about you. It, it was, was about, about me. I mean, I was Cindy Lauper. <laughs> First album I fell in love with was was the Muppets soundtrack. The Muppets soundtrack. The yeah. Muppets album. Yeah. And and I gotta say, I gotta say, Muppets broke my heart recently. They're on an ad for Facebook's portal. And like, yes, they're doing that. Uh, I'm I like, did see and that. the voices so are all wrong. Facebook. I ain't worried about the voices. You know, people come and go, but you've sold out. To Facebook, I it broke my heart, my pets. Yeah, that was rough. Heart. That was rough. So, getting into albums. Um, so, back in 2008, Kanye West said, "I don't attest to any religion that tells me other people gotta go to hell. I don't believe in any religion that something against that has something against gay people, that has something against Muslims, that has something against Buddhists. You know." And I don't really believe in any of that. I really believe in absolute truth. Fast forward 11 years later, (laughs) 
which people are allowed to change, right? Um, mm -hmm. He has released a new album called Jesus is King. And um, I, I admit that I haven't listened to the new album, um, but the question is, do you think that his views have shifted? Um, and so Rolling, so Rolling Stone says, although the album is not strictly stylistically speaking a gospel record, it is steadfast call to worship to its defining, is, it has um, a steadfast call to worship is its defining feature. So what do you, what do you guys think of this? I mean, um, I'll admit I haven't listened to the album because I can't force, like, I can't get myself to do, I can't get myself pumped up enough to do it, you know? Um, Kanye, Kanye found himself in the sunken place some years ago and has not come out yet. I that totally was, agree. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, uh, like a lot of people who, who yearn for the days of old Kanye, um, kind of, um, after my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, uh, I think it was like 2010 or 11, somewhere around there. Like after that, it was all downhill. Cause after Wait, that, is, is that a name of? Uh, an album. That's an album. That's the name. I told you I don't know anything about my, music. My, my beautiful dark twisted. Clayton's fantasy. like, why isn't Derek on this week? Listen, nobody loves Kanye the way that Kanye loves Kanye. Exactly that is the truth. It became apparent every single album after right. that, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? It, and it, you know, I've really taken cues from like Jay Z, who's one of his closest friends, right? Mm -hmm. who yes. has said publicly multiple times, like, he is my brother, but he needs help. Yeah. Like, he has said that publicly over and over again. And not to take away from truly, like, in terms of just being an mm -hmm. artist, a musician, like, the dude, the dude has transformed hip-hop. He is a musical genius. He was doing amazing things even before he became a solo artist so that's not to take anything away from that and again even though one can argue in the last two albums even that was kind of a little bit all over the place hashtag poop titty poop titty poop from the life of pablo that that was a whole mess i don't know what oh, was going on there literally but but this whole this whole place he's going now from you know being a trump supporter the thing he said about slavery being a choice right um and now now where he's apparently making this recommitment or confession to Christ or whatever, saying he's now a gospel artist. It's, you know, it, it's one of those things I think that, you know, is like, oh, this is just another example of Kanye crazy. And it's kind of weird. Uh, the, 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 especially black Christian community is like, I would I wouldn't even say divided. I don't think many of them are really in support of this album. It's kind of like, oh, what what what's happening with you, Kanye? Um, and now he's doing these supposedly church worship type services. Yeah, thing that center um, him. <laughs> that center him, right? That, right, and and he would ostensibly say not, but the truth is it kind of does. Yeah, I don't know if he's thinking himself as well, a prophet or something. But. So I look at those um, Beyonce, the, the Beyonce worship services that are happening in New York City. Um, what are they? Leighton, do you know what they're called? Um, uh, no, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, f I forget. 
exactly what the name is right now. It just split, slipped out of my head. But okay. um, um, just make, let me just warn you up front, no Beyonce slander. We don't want the hive coming after us. No, no, no. this clear. is the opposite, right? So this is, <laughs> which like I am a member of the hive, strong and true. Okay. Oh, um, <laughs> so we do not mess with Beyonce, but, um, but there, there is a worship service in New York city that is developed around her music. And, you know, it's a lot of womanist theology, right? This, this very powerful liberation that comes from this. And, and I use those in comparison just because the woman that put together the, the Beyonce service is a pastor. It uses the music and uses lyrics um, in a way like we would use theologians or mm-hmm. um, even Psalms, right? The way they, they're lifted up. So I don't want to sit here and say there's not a way to meld culture and religion, mm-hmm. right? I think there is a way to do that. I mean, we, we've used Mumford and Sons songs in worship. I mean, we use, we use Beatles songs in worship and um, you can, you know, Amazing Grace is one of those great songs that you can sing just about any tune. Like we, we play it to the house of the rising sun and peaceful, easy feeling. Which so is, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> It yeah, can pretty hit, much go with anything. Number two on the pop charts, Amazing Grace. People don't know this. Number two. Yeah. So. I think yeah. I, yeah. Well, I was going to say, before we get too far away from it, that yeah. uh, without knowing very much about, obviously, about Kanye's trajectory, um, what I do know is that, um, you know, I have seen with people I know, and arguably this is true with me as well, that like when your faith or your ideology evolves, there's still this sort of like central structure of how you understand those things that seems to not shift. So it's like, for instance, I had friends who grew up fundamentalist Christian and now they're like fundamentalist atheist, right? Like it's like they've shifted the particular views that they're expressing, but the like sort of extremism of it um, has remained. And so it's, I don't know. I just wonder if like, if Kanye has, if he has this underlying sort of current of egocentrism, then like whatever religious or ideological overlay he puts on top of that is just going to be dressing essentially for like that. It's not an underlying that. current. It's the whole ocean of Kanye. Right. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. But, I mean, yes. And, and I, I mean, I think that's, nobody here, nobody on this podcast is going to sit here and say people aren't allowed to find find religion, if you will, right? Or, sure. or um, embrace a new way of religion, even if it's something I disagree with. Right. But even going to being a Trump supporter doesn't back up this statement, right? So right. this statement that I don't, I don't like it. I don't like any religion telling anybody that they're going to hell. And I don't, um, I am, I am pro the LGBTQ community. I am pro other religions, Muslims and Buddhists, he pulls out, you know, um, and, and he ends with this weird, like, I believe in absolute truth, which like one of the beauties of religion is like, we don't know what the hell that means, but whatever, (laughs) you know, but so everything he's done in the last several years goes against that statement, not just his recent conversion. And right. more, more pointedly, um, as someone who did listen to the album, I got through it once. I tried to listen again, and 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 I kind of had a bail. There's a song where he's, I think, trying to extol the virtues of Sabbath. Um, 
it's called closed on a sunday and wrote the song he's making a shout out to chick-fil-a right 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 so so like Right. I'm like, right. okay, I can understand. I can understand the the trying to underscore, you know, what the Sabbath is and what it represents and the importance of it. But could you pick a worse reference? Well, yeah. Than Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I think that, um, I think this question of like, whatever he claims to believe, like, even if he went back and said, I still stand by this quote, um, to your point, Shannon, like, you know, we know people's faith by their fruits, right? And right. It's, you can look at his, and uh, that piece, again, that you shared with us, that article from Shane Claiborne sort of touched on this a little bit, this idea of like, regardless of what he says he believes, um, you see what he believes faith-wise in terms of how he acts, right? And and currently, his actions do not in any way align with the faith he claims to have. So, Sell your sneakers for less, dude. When you start selling them sneakers <laughs> for less, I'll believe you've had some kind of conversion experience. Yeah. So, you know, I can, I, I, so I haven't listened to the album because of what you just said, Ogan, right? Like, because I can't bring myself to, to listen to bad theology in music form. And, and I've, I've read enough about the album to know that's what it is and that it will just but, drive me crazy. But spoken words, okay? Well... <laughs> So, I mean, I compare this to Common put out an album like a couple months ago, last month, I think mm-hmm. even, um, about all about love, right? And I, I saw him at the Newport Jazz Festival, which is um, the second or third time I'd seen him. And I think third. And he, he exudes, I mean, a lot of rappers do, right? They exude specifically Christian theology mm-hmm. in, in rapping. And there is, again, this isn't a conversation on you can't have Christianity, like Christian theology and rap don't go together, or you can't have a worship service based around these things. I mean, I can see if you really were converted, I can see giving your time and your energy to a church to say, you know, let, let me come be a special guest. I want to give it up for, you know, for God, or let's, um, let's do something, let's do a gospel album together, right? Let's do something together or, but, but this is still Kanye centric. All of it is. Yeah. Um, And Um, that's what makes it unchristian, right? My my favorite quote of his recently was when he said, and I quote, God is using me to show off last year. He made 115 million and still ended up $35 million in debt. This year I looked up and I just got 68 million returned to me on my tax returns. People need to hear from Which is why he's a Trump supporter. Yeah, (laughs) people need to hear from someone that has been put into debt by the system. Talk about these type of numbers now that they're in service to Christ. Yeah. No, that's the the Trump tax break that got you that. Right. And and you're rich. So that's, uh, yes, we're not, no, well, please don't. And that's the risk, not to like get ahead of ourselves, but like is it's not just about an individual person's belief. He's not just random guy on the street, right? He ha- holds this place culturally that um, assigns him a certain level of, of um, I'm trying to think of the right word because I don't want to say like, I don't know. I mean, people, li- people who love him will believe things he says, even if they're ludicrous. And so 
right. think that, like, to your point, Shannon, I do think there can be this great overlay between culture and religion. And like those, it's not a, we don't need a separation of those two things, right? But the risk is when an artist who is, has some sort of twisted theology gets viewed as a religious teacher, despite having like, frankly, pretty little knowledge, it would appear, of actual religious And a teaching. high level of narcissism, right? Like, I mean, right. we, we right. actually do see this in religious leaders a lot in yeah. terms, I mean, this is, this is what the Christian right is full of, which is why he's getting support for this, which mm -hmm. is why this album is exciting evangelists or, or well, you know. Here, here's the thing I will give him credit for. Thanks to Kanye, a lot more people are praying. Granted, they're praying for him, especially <laughs> since he made that slavery comment and not praying yeah. because of him. Right. So we are all like, dear God, please help Kanye. Help yeah. him come back from the sunken place and start making good music we could all align ourselves with again. And, you know, if this, if this album is a step, a, a tiny step maybe back towards that, I don't, I don't know. But right. yeah, he's, he, I, I, I don't think there's many people who love him to the point where they're taking him seriously case in point he, he recently had a performance at a uh, howard university um and i think there were two concerts um one i forget one of them was maybe just i think it was a, a, a video type release of the album and then another was one of his sunday services and virtually no one showed up to the sunday service oh wow right? is my right. understanding so it's like pe people are still people are smart enough to go we can respect him as a rap artist and a musician and look forward to his tunes but yeah we're not taking him that seriously because dude's kind of lost it right we have a problem with that and yeah and you know so this this the last part of kind of our conversation on kanye is you know what is that tricky role in how we how we meld religion and culture right and how we i mean the reality is, right, is that we all have a worldview. So there's, there's, we all come into the world with our background, our ethnicity, our, the way we were raised, the way, where we lived, all of that. And we interpret scripture that way. We see the world that way. And he, he is putting, he is putting his worldview out there. And that lens is very clearly through what's good for him and his, right? Like that comment about right. the tax break like that was good for me and therefore that is good, you know? Well, and that's, and that's, that's, that's a reference again to the sort of, in a weird way, um, insidious, um, what do you call it? Prosperity gospel that, right. that, you know, while, while there is an element of truth towards when, how one's faith can align one with, um, a life that's fulfilled and abundant, which is how I uh, would define prosperity, fulfillment and mm -hmm. abundance, not so much in what you have, but who you are, Right. you know, and then on the other side is the, you know, mega pastors making billions and billions asking for new jets, hashtag flow dollar, um, <laughs> you know, prosperity gospel, you know, so, so for, for me, it's, 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 I, I hate to use the phrase because I promised myself I would never use this phrase, but it's very much leading people astray in terms of when you, of, of the expectancy of, yes, when you become a Christian, you're gonna, you can be like Kanye and make all these millions and get big fat tax refund. Right. Um, which, and, and which is, which is not to say that you 
can't, but I don't believe that's going to be because of the Christianity. It's going to be because of a whole lot of different things. Because there are a lot of Christians out there who are not millionaires. Well, exactly. And they're, and they're no less Christian because of it. And there's, there I mean, more. I think is that lens in which I interpret scripture and I view the world is like, I'm a privileged person in the world. I mean, I, you know, yes, I'm a, I'm a woman and there are challenges that come with that in America. And, but I am a white woman in the world and that comes with certain privileges. And I was born middle-class and, you know, in, and remained middle-class through education and work and everything else. But I, as a progressive Christian read scripture and view the world as not what is good for me and mine is what God wants, but what is good for the least of these mm-hmm. is right. what God wants. So mm-hmm. even though I come into the world with this certain way, I mean, I can sit here and say, be thankful that I had a tax break, even though I don't support it. I mean, I honestly like our taxes, we did get more of a break and I still didn't support it because right. it wasn't what was good for the least of these, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, and yet can understand that I don't have to view the world or function out of, like I can function in a different way than the way I was raised and how I understand and what's good for my family. Well, and it's, it's that whole, I mean, my family. Right. I think part of that is this idea of like, Jesus was countercultural, right. And like, um, like a lot of his, work at the time and his ministry and certainly in the early church prior to um what was that the edict of Milan or whatever the constantine thing when it got um wrapped up in the state anyway uh before that like the early church was kind of set apart from and and in opposition to existing systems of finance and community and all of this stuff right and so on a certain level um it's funny because I know that conservatives often use that framework to talk about how progressive Christians have given into the whims of culture by supporting queer folks like me. And I obviously, I think that's crap, but I do think that like, if we feel too comfortable in the world as it is, we are probably not examining the role our faith plays as much as we should, because like we our theology. I mean, you know, we don't believe the world is perfect. And so like, we should be uncomfortable with it to some degree. And our faith should be pulling us um, towards those places of brokenness to do what we can to counteract that. Right. But that, that being said though, I think it's a good um, point to remind folks that uh, both Leighton and I have books on Amazon for sale and we wouldn't mind (laughs) making us comfortable, a little more comfortable financially. But you don't, you know, but yours is yours only on Amazon. It's not right. Uh, it pretty much is at this point. I mean, okay. mine's been out for a few years. So ah, fair enough. Fair the, enough. The, the short run it had in any stores is over. So yeah. And yet he's quitting Amazon, but you can only right, buy that a book there. Exactly. <laughs> that is the struggle. Okay. Fair enough. But though. that's that's the tension of the world, right? That right. I mean, exactly. that's the twi- that's Same. the tension of 2019. Like, let's be honest yeah, yeah, about that, right? I didn't put it on Amazon. The publisher did. The publisher like, did, like, right? It, like whatever. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, I mean, so so. You know, it's interesting because the church is often accused of being behind the culture, like behind the times, right? We're still, like the Methodist church is still arguing about, right, whether or not to ordain people because of their sexual preference or their sexual orientation or their gender. Like let's, like there are still, so speaking of that, there is still discussion um, 
So recently, John MacArthur celebrated 50 years in the pastorate at a conference at his congregation, Grace Community Church. During the event, MacArthur accused the Southern Baptist Convention of taking a quote-unquote headlong plunge towards allowing women preachers after women spoke at the Southern Baptist Leadership Conference's um, 2019 annual meeting. That, he said, was a sign that the denomination no longer believed in biblical authority. Here's the quote. When you literally overturn the teaching of scripture to empower people who want power, please, you have given up biblical authority, said MacArthur. A moderator also asked MacArthur and his fellow panelists to offer their gut reaction in a one or two phrase. And when the moderator said Beth Moore, MacArthur replied, go home. First yeah. of all, first of all, headlong plunge. If you're going to use that to denote something negative, you've clearly <laughs> never jumped out of a plane or bungee jumped. So, oh, you know, sorry. those are really fun activities. So the joke's <laughs> on you, dude. <laughs> joke's on you. But, you know, I mean, we've had this conversation. I'm sure all of us have had this conversation many times over the course of our ministries and, and lives. Um, and, you know, I was just remarking earlier that I think last week was the 63rd anniversary of women's ordination in the Peace USA, which means we haven't even been able to do what we're doing for all that long, Shannon right. and I. Um, and I just, this is one of the things... <laughs> that I get so worked up about when I get into mostly Twitter conversations with people who always point back to the exact same scripture as the justification for this without, and like, if you try to put that scripture into context of like known context from biblical scholars of the time, they, you know, then they're like, oh, you can't just like pigeonhole that scripture into its own time, like scripture speaks. But then you go talk about another scripture and like say, well, does this still apply? And they're like, no, it's context. Right. And so right, like, right. I just want to be like, yeah, can we just like own that we're all choosing when to consider context and, we're, and when we're not and like stop bullshitting about yes. that? And let's not, let's not pretend that the Bible as a whole does not have a great view of women, period. Yeah, right. Let's, let's really be honest and let's own that as, I mean, I own that as a woman in leadership, right. As a, as a female pastor, I own that this Bible is full of references that are terrible, just terrible to me yeah. as a woman. However, mm -hmm. when you look at the life and the, and the ministry of Jesus himself, of, of the accounts that we have, women play a huge role in his ministry. Women are the first witnesses mm -hmm. to the resurrection. They are the first evangelists. They are the first preachers to tell that story. Um, and, and even in Paul's ministry, which is where a lot of people point to with this women should be silent in church, blah, blah, blah. Um, even in Paul's ministry, how many, like over and over and over again, he thanks the women mm -hmm. for keeping the church running in his absence, mm -hmm. for hosting people, hosting the church, for providing the meals and not just in the cooking way, like meals were worship at that time, right? Right. Like, that is how they led and this still, community. There are in a lot of in a lot of settings. Well, and houses houses were spaces of worship, right? The right. stewardship of the house was also a stewardship of of a sanctuary, right? And I think you know, if Lydia had stayed quiet, the church never would have spread. It never would have happened exactly. Right? And so it's it's also though. I mean, I think even more broadly, 
Like certainly Jesus is the prime example of this, but there are a million others, maybe not a million. There are a lot of others in the Bible. <laughs> like the Bible consistently demonstrates that if the world decides that somebody is not fit for God to use, God will use that person. Like over and over again, that yeah. is shown. We don't get to decide who God calls to leadership, to ministry, to whatever else, because God will always surprise us. I would like to say that I am, I am proud to be the sole representative of the show of a movement, Unity, that from the beginning ordained women. Granted, we didn't let Black people use the swimming pool, <laughs> but, you know, hey, yeah, no one's perfect. That's, that's true. <laughs> and, I mean, this we still, is... We still, got, we still got a ways to go. You know, this is, this is, I've heard this terrible analogy, right? Of like, the world is a car and the church should be the headlights. And I'm like, okay, but we're back there in the taillights, you guys. Like we're, yeah. you know, like, and, and the thing is, is that this isn't not, like to give women a pulpit and, and they're not ordaining them. They're letting them speak and give right. testimony and give, you know, I mean, Beth Moore doesn't, I mean, I'm not a fan, right? Because right. we have very different theologies, but like she doesn't claim really anything, I mean, against really what I would think this guy believes, but she did receive a call. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's her response. I did not surrender to a calling of man when I was 18 years old. I surrendered to a calling of God. It never occurred to me for a second not to fulfill it. And by the way, pause. It occurred to me many times not to fulfill it, but that's okay. That's the difference between she and I. All, all of us. Right. Okay. Back to the quote. Here's the beautiful thing about it. And I mean this with absolute respect. You don't have to let me serve you. That gets to be your choice. Whether or not I serve Jesus is not up to you. Whether I serve you certainly is. One way or another, I esteem you as my siblings in Christ. Hmm. You know, it, I, I think that very quote demonstrates exactly why, why not just she, but any denomination that it's still barring women from any role is on the losing end of things. Right. I, I like, when I saw these questions, I was like, why are we even, why is this still a thing we need to talk about? Right. Clarity it is. And clearly we need to talk about it. So it stops being a thing. But seriously, why is it still a thing? And you know, why? What is it about? What is it about men in leadership of these specific denominations, churches, whatever, that they still feel threatened? Because, as we yeah. all know, if you if you don't if if it's in the Bible and you don't think it's an issue, you're gonna you're gonna just brush over it. You will mm -hmm. find a way to contextualize it to death so that you don't need to follow it anymore. So, so yeah. this is, this is a personal, this is a personal individual choice. I was arguing this when I was back in Barbados doing the service for the LGBTQ community. And I was mm -hmm. on this, this like ridiculous radio show and, and mm -hmm. they were asking me these things. How could I, how could I call myself a Christian or follow the Bible when it clearly says, you know, all the, and they're throwing all the how the Bible condemns homosexuality quotes at me and sit in the panel is a woman who is a pastor who they are, who they love and they're singing her praises. And I'm like, 
I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're going to be yelling at me about not following in the Bible, the Bible clearly says this woman should not be ordained. This woman should not be a pastor, should not be speaking in churches. I can point to a million, not a million, but a good few yeah. verses. I mean, there are yeah, several, right? There are several. That says her being a pastor is disobeying God. So yes. how come you guys get to, you know, give her a pass? But Anna, can you explain that to me? To Layden's point, we will pick and choose. So what is it about men in these positions that they feel threatened? And it's about, well, it's about the power. Right. Well, and I was just going to say, you know, I am lucky to have, I grew up in a church where um, the associate pastor was a woman. And so like, it didn't occur to me literally until I applied to seminary and one of my older relatives like had a bad reaction because of the fact that I'm a woman that anybody, I mean, I did not know until then that there were still people that struggled with that. But I will say she that in, that, in hives? What do you mean bad reaction? <laughs> she, she, well, actually it was two different people in my family. And one of them asked to clarify that I was going to work with children and youth. Right. Oh, yeah. I've had that question. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but, and, and to his credit, he like immediately, like within months came back to me and was like, wow, did I mess that up? So, whatever. But, um, no, but in, you know, in my first year of seminary, I came out after like literally, you know, probably 10 years of like one foot outside of the closet and like hiding inside for the rest. Right. And like, meanwhile, I was liberal. I was an ally, like all this stuff. And what happened was, and I did so much thinking about this, my first year of seminary, um, was even like everything love was telling me was that like, I was good and beloved as I was, that like my capacity to love people of multiple uh, genders was a gift, like all of this stuff. But fear was constantly saying, what if you're wrong, right? And like this vision of God that is rooted in punishment and hell. And like, even in my Protestant mainstream upbringing, I got enough of that growing up in the South that it like right. lodged itself in my brain. And so I think you mix in a tendency to come from a place of fear with, to your point, uh, Ogan, power and status quo that like lifts you up and relies on other people being kept down. Like those two things together are an awfully unholy mix for like an idolatrous conservative theology that oppresses other people. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's, there's the people that pull specifically these and they're not just men, right? It's a lot of women against women mm -hmm. um, in this way. And, and I, there's a lot of digging into what that is all about. Um, for men, yeah, a lot of the times it is about power. Like they pull out this, you know, but, but some of it, and, and again, I, don't, I hesitate to actually call it brainwashing, but it's just being told over and over again so convincingly that this is an absolute wrong. And I think that it's... Um, all of life is so ambiguous, right? And, and I think that there's such a craving to have absolutes mm -hmm. that make, that this is the way the world should be. Um, and, and I think that that craving is so real, like give me the rules, like mm -hmm. I want the 10 commandments, I want these specific things and how they specifically apply to me. And if I am told that women are not to be preachers. And that is one of them. Like my rules are comforting and I don't want, and, and you're disrupting them. And if that one is wrong, then which other ones are wrong? And I'm not okay with that. Right. 
And so I, it's basically basically a, a motivated by fear, not love. Right, yeah. exactly. And and like you said, you know, I mean, there's this there's this poem that I, I love and and I can't ever remember who it was, but it's the quote of like, if it's not the voice of love, it's not the voice of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's that over and over again. And and we're not talking about like I'm doing this because I love you, you know, right. like like I'm disowning you because you became a pastor because I love you and you're going right. to go to hell. You know, I mean, I told my mother I'm going to seminary and she said, you're going to hell. You know, like mm-hmm. that's the first words out of her mouth, you know, and <laughs> that's Ogan's just looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> my mom's my mom's first words were, wait, I, and why did I pay that much for that music therapy undergraduate degree? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Although well, mine were like, well, I guess now you have a practical degree to go along with your music degree. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I was going to say that, um, you know, even Beth Moore has a platform, uh, a decently sized platform. Um, but you know, it's something that occurs to me is that like power and uh, traditional power, worldly systems of power and dominance, those are the things that rely on structure, on boundaries, on rules of this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's always been. And like to go on a, like, uh, Jesus operated in a queer way tangent, right? Like his ministry, I mean, people are right. often point out like Jesus didn't mostly didn't do his ministry in the temple unless he was challenging the way that things were in the temple, right? He did it in the forsaken spaces, in the margins. And what I think is really cool is like historically, I took a class on this in seminary, women have always preached. They've just done it in the spaces that like men weren't paying attention to, right? They right. were giving testimony they were fine they were doing revivals like all of this stuff and now you know I think one of the redeeming qualities of Twitter because there are many things about it that frustrate me is that there's so much ministry coming from women from queer people from people who in their um, firmly structured church traditions have been utterly cast out Uh, the gospel is spilling out of them and spilling over those edges and boundaries in this more unfettered space right and so it's Again, it's not to make light of and not that we shouldn't challenge the systems that exist that continue to oppress. But to me, I take comfort that like God is going to do God's work with the people that God wants to use. And like to Beth Moore's point here on this one thing, I will agree with her. Like you don't want to be served by me. Like you get to decide how you show up, but you don't get to decide whether God uses me or not. Right. Right. And, you know, I want to go back to the, you know, Ogan, how, I mean, I don't know how old Unity is, you know, Leighton and I are both. Um, about, a, about 125 years old. We are, right. we are, we are babe. Well, you are a babe, right? Like we, you know, we've come from the Presbyterian Church USA, which has split and joined multiple, multiple times, you know, um, and one of them over women's ordination in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, this has been a debate for a very, I mean, we're, we're a little over 300 years old in the U.S., but this has been a debate for almost half of our life um, in, in the U- U.S. Um, but, you know, yes, we celebrated the 63rd anniversary of women's ordination, but that was one woman, right? right. In Syracuse um, Presbytery. Like, I, in 2012, became the first female pastor of my church in its 120-something years. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine, Gusty, just became she just called to a new church and in 2019 is their first female pastor ever. Mm -hmm. So like Mm -hmm. we're, this is still newsworthy. 
that this is happening. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm often, I, when I left the South for, I left the South for ministry so that I was able to do ministry. And I went, I went to upstate New York for the purpose of not wanting all of my ministry to be around this discussion. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to get years under my belt and go out and be a, what be a quote unquote real pastor, right. Without having to defend myself over and over and over again. Now there's always a little bit of an element of that in ecumenical groups, right? Mm-hmm. Cause that room is, um, but that, that, there's all kinds of denominations that believe all kinds of different things. Um, but I don't have to defend myself in that. I didn't have to defend myself in the same way in that area. Now I didn't have to defend myself in the presbytery necessarily, but it was that it was the world around it. It was the culture around. So that discussion of like, Mm -hmm. Oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, with children and youth. Like, no. Right. Um, Oh, like a chaplain or, Oh, like a, you know, they were like, all these things, oh, a music minister, right? Like all these things we're okay with women doing, but just not the preaching, just not the sacraments, not the pastoral care. Like those things are only, actually we're okay with the pastoral care, right? But right. like only those quote unquote pastor, it's mostly the preaching, right? That's, yeah. that's what he wants Beth Moore to go home about. Yeah. It was, it was why, it was why Jennifer, uh, my late wife, is why she, she grew up Southern Baptist and it's why she left. Because yep. for her, she felt this call to ministry very young, but she felt that meant she was going to be a missionary or a minister's yes. wife or something along those lines. And eventually she was like, I know I'm clear it's about becoming a pastor mm-hmm. and I can't and do I- that here. So I've got to go. And, and, and while, while on one hand, I always admire folks who, are brave enough to say like I can't get what I want here so I'm leaving equally brave are those who say I can't get what I want I'm gonna stay here and try to transform it from the inside exactly and and I use I'll I'll readily admit I used to decry those people I used to say why are you beating your head against the concrete wall when there's space in, in in these these arenas where you can have all you want right and at the same time they're you know to those who say, I still love my flawed movement enough to stay here and do the work to transform <laughs> it, not just for myself, but for others as well. So, so kudos to you, those right. who are still in denominations who restrict whatever they restrict um, and you're in there working, working to change it. Like what? so many are going through with the, with the right. Methodist church. Yeah. Right my, now. my sister currently goes to a Methodist church cause she's in Southern Georgia and it's the best church for their family, you know, and she likes their pastor, but she, she had to sit through the summer. Um, and she went through, she was at a, at a Presbyterian church when we were going through the same discussion, you know, and they had the same issues and she's like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this again. <laughs> you yeah. know, but she had to sit in her young adult Sunday school class and be the only one in the room to say, I actually disagree. Like, I don't understand why we're still having this discussion. I don't understand why we who claim to be Christians in this room do not love and respect everybody regardless of their sexual orientation, right? Like she was the only person in the room to do that. And of course, even if there were people that agreed with her, they were silent in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. 
And, and yeah. she, she's, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, her, her and her husband have had to make a, I mean, they live in the deep South. They all, they have for a long time. They probably always will. And they've had to make a lot of sacrifices with their beliefs there. Um, her one, which I do appreciate. And I, I love her for her. And I think I've said this on the show before her one thing she won't compromise on is she won't be part of a denomination that doesn't ordain women because mm-hmm. she's like, my sister is a pastor. And there is, I will in no way be part of a denomination that says that that is wrong in any way. And I will in no way allow my girls to grow up in a way that they don't feel that they can be part of leadership and that their voice doesn't matter. Yeah. And, you know, and yet she makes, she makes the compromise. Like what happens if one of her girls comes out? What happens is, right. Does that change her attending that church? Does it not? I mean, that, that's a discussion they have to have. Mm-hmm. But that's but, and, but that's how it happens. That's, that's how, how it happens. How it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think we all can agree that any denomination, church movement that's still not ordaining or put in fill in the blank, you know, women, people in the LGBT community, whatever, in roles of leadership or you know or or turning them away, like they're on the losing side of history. And, right. you know, no different than when we didn't ordain people who were black or right. whatever. So, so it's only a matter of time and it is frustrating and it is hard for the people who are still, who are still in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but as far as I'm concerned, it's like this, this struggle is already won. It's just a matter of time for everyone yeah. to catch up to well, it. And I think, I mean, you said earlier, you talked about having come to a place where you can appreciate this, the people who stay and, and fight in, in hostile spaces. And I also went through a long process of like first really dismissing those people and then coming around and then moving back to the South to do some of that work. And um, I, I, I think what I want people who either by calling or circumstance find themselves in spaces where things like this are a decided issue um, something they don't have to wake up every day and think about what, what I want them to remember is that like, even if they've left other people are still stuck in that. Right. And so it's like, yes, the battle is already won, but also, you know, we're not free till everybody's free. Right. Like exactly. if you, right. if, if you have found your way to a place of liberation, then like your job is to help liberate somebody else. Right. And so we can't forget the people who are still stuck in these really hostile spaces or think that we don't have a responsibility to them because they're not in our church or our denomination or our city, you know? Well, and and there's a way to approach that those people or that person, right. That is, you know, even as that discussion of, I judged these people in this way, which, you know, if, even if you didn't spew hate to them, that's still a judgment. Like, why don't you leave? Why don't, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera. And, and in that is an air of, um, maybe it's a little bit of, well, I couldn't do that. So I don't understand how they could do that. Or maybe it's a little bit of, um, there's something wrong with you. But, but again, that's not that place of love. Right. Um, I, I, I still go back to that interview on NPR that, uh, with the, the granddaughter of the woman that started, um, uh, Westboro Baptist mm-hmm. and her new book unfollow and her being changed by people's minds on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and she's like, not the people that spewed hate at me. Those were dismissed immediately. It was the people that were like genuinely concerned about me Ooh. who started asking me questions about 
well, you know, let me ask you this about your faith and let me like it. And she's, and she said that we're genuinely interested in her answer and not just, and I mean, yeah. because this is a group that I admit, like, I just go, nope, you're part of that group. You're done. You're out. There's no middle ground here. You do not belong in my world, period. Mm -hmm. But these people had the grace to do that. And, and I think that that's amazing. And I, so I think that there's a way to, you know, clearly this was an immediate, this, you know, MacArthur was a, an, an immediate dismissal. We have absolutely nothing we can learn from women and she needs to sit down and shut up and go home. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, cause go home also means into the kitchen and make me some pies. Yes. Right. Very, very, very manly of him. Right. Um, and let's, and let's not also forget like in spaces where there is acceptance, there are still individuals with their bizarre thoughts in, in mm -hmm. it, it shocked me as uh, within unity, a place that will accept you if you were an alien green with horns, that, that there's still folks who still hold thoughts of, and, and it aligns, I guess, more with their upbringing and politics, you know, um, thoughts that are not of equality for people in the LGBT community. There have been unity churches who for decades, maybe still, I know for a fact for decades, say we welcome all here, but we won't hire a pastor who's gay. Right. Uh, you know, right. so it's still, it's even, it, it's still about, I think it always just comes down to people and their individual biases yeah. and how do we shift those or create the space that they can shift and, and in a weird way, ask the question, why do we keep putting them in leadership? Right. You know, they, they've right. got to be some litmus test, um, I, I, I think. And at the same time, you maybe put them in leadership because that's what you want to maintain. Um, this the status quo. It's it, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing. Oh, and the point you made about a uh, um uh folks staying in, yeah. Mm -hmm. I I as a person who I can I can attest as a person who just went back home to to be a clergy person advocating for the LGBT community. I left my church of upbringing for pure cowardice. Like I <laughs> knew that I was just petrified to say anything different for years mm -hmm. about, about anything. And part of well, it was yeah. about my own personal insecurities, fears exactly. to your point of, is this right? Or is this wrong? Am I going to suffer for this later? Is there really a hell I'm going to go burn in? Like all those things until right. I was clear about my own mm -hmm. Christology, about my own understanding and relationship with and as God until I got there, then I could say, Oh, I have no problem going back home and saying, this. Right. I have no problem envisioning and, myself 10, right. 15, exactly, years. Exactly. The right. There's nothing wrong with stepping out okay. and then stepping right. back in. Right. Like, yeah. Right. I mean, and to bring this we, full circle, but to bring this full circle, then is that what Kanye's doing? We won't know for a little bit. <laughs> it's true. We won't. And he <laughs> still gets, I don't, I just don't change. think he's that smart. <laughs> I, don't, I don't either, but he could be. I mean, there, that has been a discussion a lot of times with African-Americans who have befriended Trump. Like, is this them stepping into the circle so they can sneak in some things? And I just don't think that Kanye or Steve Harvey are that smart. <laughs> I oh, just, man, is Steve Harvey in that circle too? Oh, yeah. Honey. Oh, yeah. He's not, he's not as sunken as Kanye. He's well, not as sunken. He's not he, in the... Yeah. He like might be treading, treading water up to his nose. Let's put it that Got way. Got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord help. 
So on that note, <laughs> I want to say a big thank you to our special guest, Layton. Um, we'd like to thank the originator of Pub Theology, who came up with our crazy questions for today, <laughs> Brian Burkoff. And our we love you, Brian. And we're always gonna get you're always gonna get tough love from us. That's always. because we, we love you. Always feet to the fire, baby. Um, <laughs> and our producer Derek Weston um, connected and spread um, the word about pub theology on social media. Listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple, Google Podcasts, or anything and anywhere you get your podcasts. <laughs> we also have clips on YouTube and Facebook and. IGTV. Um, you can sign up on patreon.com slash PT live for more content here. Um, we, before and after show craziness. I keep using that word, but that is what is appropriate. That, that's what um, it is. You know, you know what we're going to talk about in the briefly in the after show today. When did we give Derek Weston the title of producer? Like, well, I don't isn't remember. Isn't that what it is? I, well, we're going to talk about that because I don't remember <laughs> being consulted on, on, on that. I pulled that off of another podcast that called him a producer. So I was like, oh, that must be what it is. Um, so editor in chief, um, Derek Weston. Um, yeah. All right. Um, find or create. Love, a you, pub love you too, Derek. Love you too. Um, anyway, find or create a pub theology. Layton, sign up at pubtheology.com slash directory today to register right. your pub theology. And until next time friends drink responsibility and keep those conversations flowing.